Good morning, my name is Sarah, and I will be reading scriptures for you this morning. The first reading is Psalm 86, and this is a responsive reading. It will be played through once, and then the second time the singers will sing it, and the third time we will join in. Verses 24 to 33. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house of Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up 
that will not be uncovered and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground, unperceived by your father. And even the hairs on your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. <laughs> the Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. saying praise to you Lord Jesus Christ for that reading I think let us pray you Lord are our judge and you Lord are our Pray, Lord, that through your living heard, your gospel is heard, one that brings hope from judgment and brings peace to those who are worried and weary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Jesus wandered from town to town, proclaiming God's kingdom, feeding the hungry, Healing the sick and casting out demons, he encountered opposition. He was called a blasphemer, a charlatan, and was even excused of having a demon. This guy obviously casts out demons because he has one, they said. Or he's in league with Beelzebub, the lord of demons, they said. Beelzebub meaning the lord of dung. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in his message translation, dung face. Here Jesus warns his disciples about the persecution that awaits him. His disciples, as his students, can expect the same treatment that Jesus himself has received and will receive. And if you think they treat me bad now, treat me bad now, Jesus says, just wait until they come after you. If they call me dumb face, Jesus says, imagine all the creative nicknames they will think up for you as my followers. And the thing about Matthew's gospel, Matthew's story of Jesus, is that it was written about 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection to the ongoing Christian community. His fellow Jews saw Jesus as a blasphemer, and the Roman occupiers ex executed him on a cross as a political insurgent. 
So here it's not only a warning from Jesus to his disciples, it's also a description of what the early church was facing for their association with Jesus. They received harassment, political exclusion, and imprisonment, and even death. The early church was pressured and under stress, afraid of what suffering might await, and worried that it would never end. And you know about the thing about suffering and persecution is that it's deeply discouraging. You can only be kicked and beaten and publicly shamed so many times. You can only be called dumb face so many times before you wonder whether it's all worth it to hold on. And that's exactly what happened with Matthew's community. They grew afraid, they grew tired, even to the point of their denying, denying their association with Jesus and giving up on the faith altogether. So these folks, you might say, need some kind of reassurance, some kind of encouragement to keep going in the face of pressure. Now, I'll be honest though, what Jesus says next doesn't sound very reassuring. It doesn't sound entirely encouraging to me. I don't know about you. Here's what he says. Have no fear of them. Have no fear for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light and what you have heard, whispered, shouted from the housetops. When Jesus says that there's nothing that will not be uncovered, he's talking about the day of the Lord. That day at the end of time where he will finish the work he began and preside as judge over all creation. Don't hide or keep your faith to yourself, Jesus says, because in the end, it's all coming out. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of your persecutors, because sooner or later, they're going to find out the truth. So you might as well let it all out now. Let them call, let them call you dumb face all they like, because in the end, they will know the truth. And here's where things get a little difficult. Besides, he says, all they can do is kill you. Do not fear those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. If that's all they can do, they're not worth losing a night's sleep over, Jesus says. These guys can't touch your soul, so you've got no worry, reason to worry about them at all. But there is something you need to worry about, Jesus says. What you need to worry about, apparently, is me. Is me. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Jesus says. What you should be afraid of is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You know, in the Greek word we have here translated as hell, Gehenna was the name for the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where they incinerated trash, and it's one of the New Testament's primary metaphors for God's judgments. So imagine, you know, just a heap of garbage on fire. If you stand up for me now, Jesus said, you thought that, you know, it gets even better from here. If you stand up for me now, Jesus says, I'll stand up for you on the final day of judgment, but if you deny me now, 
I'll be the one denying you on the final day of judgment, and the only place to go from there is the cosmic landfill. According to Jesus, there are worse things than suffering and humiliation and persecution, worse things than even death. They have no need to worry about the judgment of their enemies on earth. What they should be worried about is the eternal judgment of the living God, the holder of all destiny. Keeping the faith now in spite of trial is worth it, Jesus says, because taking the bumpy road now, no matter how bumpy it is, leads away from a dead end that will run off a cliff later on. Now, I'll be honest, this is probably the Jesus I like the least. I don't know about you. I prefer the one who makes water into wine and multiplies loaves and fish to feed people, who heals the sick and hangs out with the least, the last, and the lost, the forgiving and loving Jesus. I don't much like this edgy, threatening, fire and brimstone Jesus at all. It's not exactly the scripture passage I would have read at my funeral, you could say. And I know that the threat to turn or burn has had the opposite effect for many of you. Rather than drawing you close to Jesus, it's pushed you away. It's been used as a club or a weapon. It is not a pleasant thing. I prefer the nice Jesus, by far. But this doesn't change the fact that this is what Jesus says, and this is what is in the scriptures. And if we're followed, to follow Jesus, we have to at least wrestle with these parts of scripture that are exceedingly difficult. The main issue at play in this text, in my mind, is the corrosive effect of worry on both our bodies and our souls. We may not be worried about getting thrown in prison on account of Jesus, but we do worry about how we're perceived by those around us, whether friends or family, co-workers, or followers on Instagram. We worry about holding all the right opinions on political issues, or we're worried about somebody else's, what somebody else's politics are about to do and destroy the world. We worry about what our children's behavior says about our parenting, or lack thereof. We worry that our childhood hopes and dreams won't come true, or we worry that our hopes and dreams aren't big enough to begin with. Worried about marriage, worried about divorce, worried about wasting our lives, worried about getting sick, or even getting sicker. Worried about mortgages, car payments, and maintaining our lifestyles, despite the fact that we're the richest society in human history, somehow we're always worried that there won't be enough, and if we don't stop, we'll lose, or if we stop, we'll lose everything. All this worry poisons our bodies and poisons our souls. This is making us all sick. Physically, yes, but spiritually as well. Not all is well with our souls. It may all seem urgent, but from the vantage point of eternity, it's all useless. 
in the end, it's all headed to that cosmic trash heap. What truly matters in the end is our life with God. That is what truly matters above all things. That is what is at stake ultimately in this text. What truly matters in the end is our life with the living God and worry is poisoning us and keeping us from experiencing that fullness of life here and now. And you know, the thing about our life with God, according to the scriptures, is that in the end, it's guaranteed. That's the good news part that's tucked in the middle of this passage about judgment. You know, there's, there's kind of two bitter pieces of bread, and there's just this delicious, wonderful, good-tasting grace right in the middle of it. That's the good news. Well, here's the good news. Here's what Jesus continues. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Jesus asks. And they were sold for a penny. These are cheap birds Jesus is talking about. It's like budgies, you know. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground unperceived by your father. And even the hairs on your head are all counted, Jesus says. So be not afraid. Jesus says, be not afraid, for you are more value than many sparrows. You know, a cage full of budgies, a sanctuary full of budgies. You are worth more than all the budgies in the world. If a tiny little inconsequential thing like a sparrow or a budgie is worth God's infinite attention. Imagine God's attentiveness to us. We are infinitely precious to God. So precious are we, in fact, that on the cross, Jesus gave up his own body to suffer and be destroyed and his soul to be consumed by the fires of hell, rather than to lose us forever. So precious that rather than consigning us to the grave or the ash heap of judgment, the Holy One descended from his heavenly throne to bear the consequences of sin and death and to put out the fire of hell with the waters of his new creation forever. So precious that he was raised on the third day as the ultimate guarantee that our future is assured. To deny it is death, but to believe it is a gateway to a life beyond our imagining. A life that begins not in some far off distant place in the clouds, but one that begins here and now. Eternity, the grace of God, puts everything 
else in perspective. Now, after the sermon, we're going to sing, sing a hymn called, O Love That Wilt Not Let Me Go. And I don't think I'd ever sang it before five or six years ago, then when we go, oh, this looks like a good hymn for the sermon of the day. Let's put it in. And I immediately love the rich imagery of the words and the simplicity of the tune. It's got just, the, it all screams the grace of God from beginning to end. It became, but it became all the more meaningful once I heard this, learned the story behind the song, you know. Sort of like you learn American Pie is all about the death of Buddy Holly or something. To make it that much more meaningful. It's a bad example. But born in 1842, George Matheson, George Matheson, by all account, was one of the most promising Scottish theologians of his generation. He'd written two books of theology before he turned 20, and you know, I'm almost twice his age, and thus far I have zero theology books to my name. However, in his 20th year, the same year that he was getting all of these accolades, and in the middle of studying for church ministry, he started to lose his sight. And eventually, he went completely blind. He was engaged to be married, but when he broke the news to his fiancée and explained that there was nothing the doctors could do, she left him. She just couldn't go through life with a blind husband, she said. It would just be too hard, and this left him devastated. At this time, though, um, at this time, though his sister actually came to his aid and became his caregiver. With her assistance, he was able to finish his training and enter into church ministry even as a preacher. And he was even in congregations for the rest of his life. She more or less saved him and allowed him to live something close to a normal life. About 20 years later, though, his sister fell in love and was engaged to be married herself, and that would actually mean that they would be moving and living together and moving in together and moving on. Well, Matheson understood that it was his sister's time to move on. He was heartbroken at the prospect of being alone, alone without the person, one person who had come through for him. And undoubtedly, he was also reliving some of the pain from his own aborted wedding 20 years prior. But the evening before the wedding, Matheson's whole family left to prepare for the big celebration, and he was left alone in the house in the evening. Alone and facing the prospect of living the rest of his life without the one person who had come through for him. So he sat down and he wrote this hymn that we're going to sing. Afterwards, he said it only took him five minutes to write. He just scribbled it right out. And it was the only thing that never required any change or editing. I have no natural gift for rhythm, he said. I mean, you're talking to me here, I totally get that. All of the other verses I have ever written, all of the other songs I have ever written are manufactured articles, and this one came like a day spring from on high. It just, the song just came to him. It just came to him as a gift, and every verse is worth sharing, but the last one, I think, best fits our purposes. 
And here's what it says. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground their blossoms red, life that shall endless be. From the ground their blossoms red, life that shall endless be. In the heartbreak of that moment, Matheson received a revelation in the form of a hymn, and the revelation was that the cross of his present pain was made bearable in the light of the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that in Christ's blood lay the seed of the new creation, the promise of a future with no end. And on account of it, he had no need to turn away from his suffering, nor flee, nor give in to despair. No need to worry for fear of the present moment, because he'd come to know a God who knew each hair on his head better than himself, that even a blind man, alone and forsaken, was precious to the creator of the universe, so precious that the creator would lose everything to save him, that he too could lose everything, but still face it all with a sense of hope and a sense of joy, knowing that everything belonged to him forever in Christ. He could face the future because he knew his future was he could face the present because he knew his future was assured. And that same promise, dear friends, is for us. Rather than letting ourselves be consumed with worry and anxiety, rather than letting ourselves be eaten up by fear or suffering or pain, we've all been thrown a lifeline from the future. One that will never break or bust, a love that will not let us go. And because of this, we can simply rest in the fact that our lives are hidden in Christ forever. We can truly rest. You can truly rest in God's grace. You belong to Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ forever. Imagine that great burden in your chest lightening with the words of Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. You have no need to worry or fear anything that life or the world can throw at you because the Lord of heaven and earth knows every hair on your head even better than you know yourself. And he promises to bring them, those little hairs, and you through the furnace of life, unsinged. You can rest in Christ now and forever. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.